0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and this is Videocast, episode 99, podcast episode 89, for the week ending September 10th, 2021. Uh, I'd like to briefly touch on the media spots and then we're gonna get right to it this week. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, First off, I'd like to thank Shauna Smith uh, Taylor Clothier, and Josh Schaefer for having me on Yahoo Finance on Tuesday. Uh, we're gonna go into that in great detail later in the podcast uh, videocast as, as it relates to taper, as it relates to yields, and a lot of good stuff, but uh, let's move right along for now. I uh, also wanna thank Lydia Moynihan over at the New York Post, uh, favorite paper and favorite business writer over there. She's doing a great job uh, she came over from Fox Business, and her article, uh, you can click here to see it right at the New York Post, uh, is was about the airline stocks. And what I was talking to her about was that uh, the high-quality ones like United Airline and um, Southwest were both down 25% in the last two months on the delta news and on expectations of them taking down bookings etc well yesterday a number of them came out and said we expect bookings to be lower in the short term due to delta and it seems like that may have been the bottom it it looks like it was a sell the rumor by the news and we'll see if we get follow through next week but i think this whole reopening trade moving forward is going to be a huge opportunity and we'll explain why in great detail. So my, my quote to Lydia was, several states have already peaked on the Delta variant and when the aggregate numbers fall, we're gonna see a tsunami of bookings, Tom Hayes, uh, chairman and managing member of Great Hill Capital told The Post, Business travel will come back shortly after offices are filled again, he said, pegging the first quarter of next year as the time to look for a resurgence. So just as the stock started to discount the slowdown of Delta two and a half months ago, they'll start to discount the ramp up uh, in Q1 in, in coming days and weeks if they haven't uh, put it in their bottom yet. So uh, I thought her, her, the timeliness of the article was incredible. Uh, I think New York Post is probably one of the most underrated papers in the country. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's my go-to first. Obviously, Barron's, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, I read that for uh, the uh, hard business stuff. But the Post really puts out a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of fun articles in it as well. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, we're going to start with a quote from John Templeton. Um, if you want to have a better performance than the crowd, you must do things differently from the crowd. And you know, I, th- I think this is appropriate because we're going to go through. You know, we've kind of had this period where we got off to a rocket ship start this year with uh, the reopening trade in Q1 and, and Q2, and then just kind of plateauing over the summer. Some bumps with China, etc. And, you know, I went through, I took the long weekend to go through client portfolios uh, as well as my own. And the common denominator was there is, you know, you look at the general indices and you say, my goodness, it seems like they've, they've just gone straight up uh, without stopping. And then you look under the surface and it's just unreal some of the opportunities that are out there, some of the discounts that are out there and how, you know, a handful of stocks have kind of held up the indices We'll see if that continues with Apple. You know, Apple, a couple things happening with Apple. Number one, um, they had the ruling today about Epic Games that developers could um, have people pay outside the Apple store, which I I think in the short term, all the analysts came out defending it. Um, There were like four or five analysts. It won't be a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the entire growth story is predicated upon it. So we'll see how it shakes out. Obviously, there are going to be appeals, uh, Apple's going to appeal it. It will be delayed. Implementation will be a year out. Uh, but we have to see whether the multiple is justified. Obviously, Apple's an incredible business. It's always going to be a great business. But that growth, that App Store revenue, that 30% vig was a huge part of the growth story. And uh, I think today was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I think Apple was down three or four percent. But more than that, um, its impact on the general indices is going to be interesting because you know, I look at the indices and it's just like, man, you know, these thing, this thing has to take a breather. But then I look under the surface at all the stocks that are just beaten up over the summer and incredible values, high-quality stocks. I'm not talking small caps and you know, smaller mid-caps. I'm talking about some of the large-cap, high-quality businesses that are just down you know, 30%, etc., that are just set up to have a, a roaring rip back, and and as I looked at the intrinsic value, I mean, you know, the, it, not just the companies we own, but uh, some of the options that we own, you know, deep in the money options on some of these higher quality, lower volatile, lower volatility stocks that we could get implied volatility at at a, at a very reasonable price. I mean, you know, it, it, we could, I could easily see you know, 80, 90% moves out of these, you know, not overnight, but over the next six to nine months. And, and before the end of the year, 30, 40%, you cut it in half. And I'm looking at it as they're just doing nothing the last couple of weeks. Obviously, the Dow and the S&P have been down every day. And, you know, it's that time of year. But when these things turn, so we're going to look at, you know, what could be the possible catalyst for some of the reopening trades coming back and some of those sectors and groups that have been kind of forgotten over in some cases in the case of of small caps uh, over the last eight months and in the case of uh, or seven months and the case of the reopening trade in the last five months they haven't done anything and what could be the spark that lights the fire and has a huge year end and uh, and into the first quarter so we'll look at some of that so you've got as far as the general uh, market goes you had a bunch of banks come out this week uh, negative, you know, opinion follows trend. The market was down whatever, five or six days. Um, so everyone gets a little bit bearish. And uh, but you, if you step back, this is Goldman Sachs. Uh, GDP for this year is still going to be over six percent consensus. And then next year, uh, close to four point seven five. So these are numbers we haven't printed in a long, long time uh obviously the growth rate will slow off a higher bar than you know last year was a very low bar Uh, and keep in mind uh, that probably excludes a large assumption about the amount of the stimulus package coming forward which you know will probably be in the neighborhood you have got the infrastructure 500 billion to a, a trillion and then you've got the social spending package you know somewhere between two and three trillion would be my guess. I know Manchin came out and said he'll only support one and a half. That probably means he wants a couple more bridges, roads, and schools in, in, uh, in his state, and he'll get there. But uh, they know that they've got this limited window of opportunity that's closing, where they you know, they basically have carte blanche through reconciliation, and if they, it's now or never. So uh, my bet's that they, they push something big through. And in the short term, it will be stimulative. In the long term, we'll have to figure out how, how it gets paid for and what it does to uh, debt to GDP and all, all the other things that are being debated. But um, but uh, th- there's just a lot of gas in the tank right now. Um, okay, want to get to the uh, questions of the week. And, and a good one came from uh, Marcus Dorman, and he uh, made a note that And this is something that I've done. And for those of you uh, running smaller accounts and using um, put spreads and call spreads, maybe you remember the trade service, Um, uh, he made a point. So so I want to take Cigna as an example. And this one looks a lot like uh, Splunk did before it took off, by the way. Let's see how Splunk is doing. Uh, Yeah, so Splunk is up uh, 11 months. Okay, so Splunk keeps working its way up. So if you remember, uh, we were pitching Splunk down here, started to rally, then after earnings, it sold off huge. We were saying buy, 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 and adding to the position, and then it just took off and it's continued to work its way off. We think it's got a little more juice and then we'll start peeling, peeling some off. But um, I wanna go through this example with Cigna because Cigna is a similar example. Um, Cigna sold off on um, the increased of um, med- the medical care ratio shot up from 80 to 85 percent in the last quarter's earnings due to uh, COVID costs, COVID testing, and COVID um, uh, service. But the large part of their business, the Evernorth, which is the pharmacy business, uh, volume uh, script volumes were up 13 percent now that people are going back to their doctors. Um, and it's trading at nine and a half times next year's earnings versus its historic multiple of 12 times. So we think it's a huge opportunity. So today, some uh, analyst came out from Bank of America and downgraded the stock, so it sold off. Now, he didn't downgrade it up here at 270 when he was bullish. Uh, now that it's down, you know, 30%, uh, give or take. Yeah, okay, so more than 30%. Uh, uh, right around 30%. Uh, now he comes out and downgrades and he says, well, you know, the medical care ratio, we don't have any visibility. Well, no one has any visibility. You tell me what Delta is gonna do. I'm gonna tell you what the market's gonna do. I, I am uh, optimistic about Delta. Uh, I'm gonna show you some numbers that make me optimistic about Delta. And a lot of our assumptions in terms of the intrinsic value playing out in our portfolio holdings of 80 to 90% and, you know, cut that in half, uh, you know, in the shorter term, uh, are predicated on you know delta starting to wind down. Now you could say, well, no, the kids are going back to school. They're going to bring it home. Da 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 You know, I, I can't control that. What I can control is buying uh, high-quality businesses when they're tremendously discounted relative to historic multiples and uh, prospects moving forward. So, uh, in the case of Cigna. So let's say, so, so now it's, it's sold off. Uh, we, we originally started pitching it here, and it's just kind of gone sideways for the last four or five weeks. And then it was starting to break out, and all of a sudden this analyst comes out again after it's down 30%, not up here when it was at 270, uh, back when it's down at close to 200. He downgrades it, the stock sells off uh, 4%. And you say, okay, I buy Tom's story, I think Cigna is gonna work its way towards new highs over the over the next you know handful of months and I want to buy uh, the in the money 195 200 call spread okay so I pulled up these numbers at three o'clock today and uh, you could buy that spread the five dollars for three dollars and five cents okay so uh, basically It would be like buying a $30 stock that goes to or $30 and 50 cent stock that goes to $50 uh, if it closes anywhere above 200 uh, for January so this would be the January month 195 200 you buy it for three dollars and five cents and if it closes anywhere above 200 in January you make three dollars and five cents becomes five dollars so it's like a thirty-dollar stock going to fifty-dollar stock. You, you nearly double your money. So that that's a good thing for three months. Everyone agrees with that. Uh, you know, this is not some kind of stock where um, you know it's um, some high-flying stock like Zoom. And if it misses expectations because it's trading at seventy-five times sales, it's going to be down forty percent in a day. Uh, we don't have that kind of risk. We we kind of know what we're dealing with here. Now, the point that Marcus was getting to is what if it goes against you first and this is something that i've been doing uh many times over the years um that i think some of you might find valuable because the key when you buy these spreads is uh, people make a lot of mistakes the number one mistake they make when buying options is they buy too short uh, of dating and they just lose because of time even if they're right on the idea the, the, um, the second thing is they buy you know dramatically out of the money, uh, and then if it goes against them first, um, uh, and then you lose time to make it back, and, and that can be a problem, and that's just part of the game. The key is not avoiding risk, it's, it's managing risk. But let's say you're in this spread at 195, 200, uh, for three dollars and five cents, and it moves against you. Now, how did how they get to the three dollars and five cents? You bought the one ninety five call, the January one ninety five call for nineteen dollars and fifty cents uh, a contract, and then um, the two hundred you sold for sixteen forty five. So you bought for nineteen fifty, you sold for sixteen forty five. The net cost to you is three oh five. So what could happen between now and January, whatever it is, 18th or whenever it expires, is that uh, you could get another downgrade, you could get um, uh, the administration come out and say, health insurance costs are too high or drug costs are too high, we are gonna crack down now, and, um, and this thing could shoot down to 190. Now it shoots down to 190. That spread is probably like down to a buck. It's down to 50 cents. Who who knows? Maybe it shoots to 185 short term. You just get a series of downgrades. All the analysts pile on. The administration says, you know, no one's going to pay for drugs anymore. The drug companies just have to give them away for free. The insurance companies should cover everyone for free. No one makes a profit. Um, you know, so, something bananas like that. Um, So in most cases, that would just be negative. If you own the stock, it's not a good thing. If you have high conviction, you'd probably add to the stock, obviously. If you had long dated options, uh, if you just had long call options, maybe you'd add. Um, But it's uh, it's more money out of pocket. So the opportunity when a spread moves against you in the short term is that short option that you sold at 16.45, If the stock dropped down to 190 or 185, that might go, depending how close you are to January, that option might go down to $4 or $3 that you paid $16 for. And what you could do at that point is rather than say, oh, I've got to blow out of the spread, I better take my dollar or my 50 cents, I paid 305 for it, is you just buy in the short leg. So the one that you sold for $16.45 you could effectively buy in, you know, for two, three, four, five dollars, whatever, uh, you know, a third or, or a quarter of what you sold it for, and then you're out of that trade, and all you have left is the long option. So rather than being capped at, you know, three dollars becoming five dollars, or three dollars and five cents becoming five dollars, um, you know, or cl- close to a double or you know less than a double, but you you get the point. Uh, that long call now becomes unlimited upside because you're not capped by the short call that you sold against the long call to get the cheap price so if you were just going long at 195 if you were just buying the long dated calls you would have had to come out of pocket you know nineteen dollars a contract nineteen fifty a contract so you're talking you know nineteen hundred fifty dollars uh, each contract because it's a hundred uh, shares per contract um, but instead, uh, you're coming out 305 for an expected, you know, 75% gain or whatever it happens to be at expiration. Here, you use the negative scenario in your favor, where you would buy in that short call at you know 10, 20, 30, 35% of what you paid, uh, what you sold it for, and then you get a free ride on that uh, long call. So effectively. The long call that would have cost you 1950, now you're in, you know, maybe um, 305 plus. If you bought back the 16 dollar one for four bucks or three bucks, you effectively have that 195 call now for seven bucks uh, when it would have cost you 1950 straight out of the gate. So it's basically turning lemons into lemonades. And that's why we tend to buy more time on these type of spreads in the service than uh, than most, because it gives us the optionality to not have to be perfect on the bottom, just buy enough time that if it does exactly what we want right away, that's great. And if it doesn't, uh, we can actually increase our upside by taking out the short leg that moves against us. So it's a little higher level stuff. I'm glad Marcus brought it up. Uh, it, it, it's a little more complex so we we don't cover that a lot but i thought it was uh it was worth bringing up on this call and i appreciate the ask me anything question second ask me anything question is um ben first name only hi tom why is defense and aerospace drastically lagging most all almost all other sectors uh okay this is the question de jour because this is the theme of the entire call um let's get to it here are some defense stocks large-cap aerospace and defense and what you're going to see with the defense and aerospace is yeah they you know they've had a nice run here but some of them have rolled off When in the last two and a half months so the ones that have more exposure to airplanes have sold off in concert with uh... air carriers That have also sold off on the Delta fears over the last two and a half months, two and a half, three months. Because if you remember, Delta was huge in UK and India before they rolled over 50 days into it. So um, the markets have been discounting this and the heavyweights in the ITA ETF, which is Defense and Aerospace or Defense, uh, happen to have... Uh, big aerospace, as well as defense, but big aerospace exposure like Boeing is a big weight, like Lockheed Martin is a big weight, like Heiko, um, uh, and some of these others. So, you know, we obviously love Lockheed here, we love Boeing here. Um, General Dynamics, if you remember, in the beginning of the year, January 4th, was one of our top four picks for the year. That's up huge. Uh, that has less exposure to the aerospace. That's why that hasn't rolled over, and it also has a lower weight. Same thing with Raytheon hasn't rolled over as much. So as a different weight. So Lockheed Martin, Heiko, Boeing, heavy weights in the defense and aerospace, but heavy aerospace exposure. And we we do think, as we said in Lydia Moynihan's article, uh, and on Shauna Smith, uh, on Yahoo Finance with Shauna Smith, is that we do think that... Um, um, some of these airlines the highest quality even some of the cruises have a huge opportunity and this short-term delta spike is creating a huge opportunity moving forward so uh so so why is defense and aerospace lagging it's because of its exposure to aerospace and you look at all the carriers here uh, um, you know united here down 25 percent in the last few months you could basically overlay southwest the highest quality you could overlay their charts with the defense and aerospace that have huge aerospace exposure. They look exactly the same. So that answers your question. What solves that problem. Well take a look at this. Um, uh, This is covid cases. Okay. So the seven day average is rolling over. You can see here whether we get one more spike up like we saw in uh, December. We don't know but or we just roll over like we saw in last September. Uh, that or last, uh, it looks like July through September. Uh, who knows? But um, the more this rolls over, the more these stocks are going to bottom and start to rip higher because just as uh, the bookings were slowing in anticipation of Delta, they're going to start, there's going to be a tsunami of bookings once this number rolls over. Everyone's going to want to get ahead of the pack to book and to uh, get decent deals because if you wait until this, Uh, seven-day moving averages down here uh, you'll be lucky if you get a seat number one and number two you'll be paying triple the people that start buying up here so um, so all of these are gonna move together defense and aerospace the high quality carriers (coughs) and I think that's that's a huge opportunity I think these Boeing's and Lockheed's uh, look exactly like uh, like what we just laid out with the Cigna idea where you can you can get these things on the cheap high quality lower volatility Uh, and really benefit moving forward. We did skip Ed. Uh, What's your feeling on QQQ in the short term? Uh, You know, we're going to cover a lot on rates. I I would say, as I said on Shauna's show, which we'll get into, uh, it's it's nuanced. Uh, There are selective opportunities in tech. You know, two of the names that we've been talking about the last four weeks have done quite well, Amazon and Netflix. Uh, because they had done nothing for 12 months and they started to to take off. Uh, I do think that we're moving towards an environment where, uh, as this rolls over, rates are going to start to move up and the reopening trade is going to start to come back. uh, And all these stocks that have been left for dead over the summer that had summer swoons Are going to get pound, are going to just take off, and the tech stocks that have run hard since June, when we were talking about rates compressing and tech getting a bid, uh, I think some of those are going to start to uh, soften off. And Apple may be the first. We'll see. Uh, You know, not only do they have this epic thing that will be obviously appealed, but you know, their their big event is September, and every manager knows. Generally, the play over the last decade has been to buy the, buy the event and then sell the news. Uh, so they have double pressure after this week. And my guess is what they'll do to offset both of those headwinds is, one, buy back stock. And two, um, probably, you know, maybe, maybe big, make, make some type of big announcement about TV or, or the car just to keep everyone excited about keeping that multiple up. Whether it'll work or not is going to be uh, a function of how the market digests the impact to the app store after they've had a couple weeks. Because right now they're doing their knee-jerk defending the stock because they're all, you know, Uber buys, Uber overweight on the stock. All they can do is defend it in a knee-jerk reaction. After they digest what it can mean to the growth story and to their uh, bottom line, because while it's a small percentage of top line, it's a big percentage of bottom line um, that remains to be seen. So um, that could have a weight on the tech sector overall. Rates will be the most important thing to impact the tech sector. So um, I I think you have to be very selective. I, I, I think you know, the Splunks of the world, especially discreet, I think, Intels. Um, uh, you know, maybe Amazon and Netflix have a little more juice in them. You know, they, they've had a big run in the last four weeks. But uh, I wouldn't go overboard with new money at this stage uh, on those stocks. And, um, and we'll get into it. So am I short on anything? No, not with this liquidity. But... Um, that's probably not where I want to be focused on in coming weeks and months in terms of adding new stuff. If there are discrete opportunities like an Intel, you know, some, some stock that's gotten beaten down and I can make a case to why it should uh, um, revert to, to its mean over time, uh, I'll take a look. But, but that's not going to be an area of priority at the moment. Uh, okay Tim good uh, says you've been very transparent with sharing how you seek value for a good price so clearly you do not chase the popular stocks curious if you pay attention to triple quadruple witching dates to buy into or is that just noise uh, that's just noise um, you've consistently said to look under the surface for opportunity I mean it's noise like it's supposed to have a negative implication uh, you know if you find a good quality company that's on sale and you think it's going materially higher in the next six, to, don't wait for quadruple witching. You know, I mean, it's like you could get a, a new headline every every day of the week that moves the stock. So I, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. Uh, you've consistently said to look under the surface for opportunity and not to focus on indices. To, uh, curious if you consider a, an ETF like XLF, XLE, the same as an index. Thank you for breaking these down by the way your earnings uh, by by the way, with your earnings target summary, super helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I do consider those kind of the same as an index. I'll use the sector ETFs if I just want to get quick exposure right away, and then figure out later where's the best value per dollar. Um, so, so that that that's how i would think about that i use etfs more as a placeholder uh than as where i want to have my long-term exposure because there's no real value add in that i mean um from my perspective i can understand if you want to be in a sector like energies down um but i i would drill down personally on, on individually individual stocks obviously I don't know what anyone's individual situation is. Talk to your financial advisor. Go to hedgefundtips.com and click on terms. This is opinion, not advice. But um, I, I don't I don't find huge value just holding the ETFs if I can help it. Um, with the anticipated uptrend in the 10-year yield, do you think utilities will take a breather? This is a this is a this is a good question because um, I do think we're setting up for rate rises before the end of the year. Uh, I just don't know if we get a head fake first. So, um, you know, when I look at the, okay, so what's this? So this is utilities. All right, we did the defense. We did the airlines. Okay, this is utilities. And when you look at these, You know, yeah, they've had big runs off of where we put out our first note at the last week of February, first week of March. So they have had these big runs. And if rates are going to go up dramatically and quickly, utilities is not the place you want to be. But at the same time, um, let's zoom out a little bit. I just feel like these these have a bit more runway. I mean, they barely even recovered, most of them, from... Uh, the pandemic. I mean, they've had these big bounces since February, but they haven't moved. So I, I, uh, I don't have a perfect answer for you. What I would say is, um, if you have profits on some of these positions, um, you know, on up days, I, I, I start to shave a little bit off. But you, you, you know, I want to keep some of this on uh, through year end, even though rates should be moving in the upward direction. We're gonna talk about why. Um, so, you know, like like Dominion, um, I think this has more room to run. Same, same with American Electric Power. I think these have more room to run. But you're right, if, if rates are going up, do you wanna hold these? So you, you don't wanna be overweight. If you've had some profits, I, I, on up days you could take some, but I do think these have another leg. Uh, which which would be consistent with maybe a, a head fake in um, in Treasuries in the short term, meaning you know maybe you get one last move down in yields before we get the move up towards two percent uh, uh, towards Q1. Uh, that that's how I'm thinking about it, but it's it's an, it's an astute question, it's a right question, and it's one I've been grappling with for for a number of weeks and how to think about this moving forward. But I do think some of these have a couple. Uh, have some more juice in them to the upside. So uh, good question on that. And then finally, uh, thoughts on high-yield commodity stocks like Rio and BHP, uh, Rio Tinto and BHP Billiton. Both are down 10 to 15 percent, and they pay you a high dividend while you wait. Uh, I've looked at both of them. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable with them. So uh, I've always, you know, general, common equities that yield over five percent. There's usually a red flag there. Um, and the other thing that we're gonna talk about is the China credit impulse chart in just a moment. And there's a correlation to kind of metals and mining. And and I've just never loved miners generally. They just have this uncanny ability to consistently lose money even good in good environments. It's like they work they, they, they have to work 24 hours a day to, to you know, lose that amount of money that consistently through throughout cycles. And, and there are exceptions. Obviously, they had a big run in the emerging markets uh, run in the early 2000s, and we could be setting up for that. But these things have had a decent run off the bottom. So uh, I'm not – I'm going to just say I'm agnostic on those. I just think they're better risk-rewards uh, than, than – um, than those stocks right now um, okay so let's move along here we've got a lot of different stuff let's talk a little bit about the general market macro charts on Twitter posted this I, I like this article because this week a ton of banks obviously after the market being down a number of days in the row uh, and where did we end this week it was oh here it is okay Uh, For the week, the Dow slid 2.2% and is down for two consecutive weeks. The S&P lost 1.7% this week, its longest losing streak since February 22nd, 2021, when the market fell for five straight days, and the NASDAQ declined 1.6% this week, the largest one-week percentage decline since July 16, 2021, according to FactSet. So the six. <clears throat> largest Wall Street banks issue red alerts. Uh, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Deutsche Bank, Citigroup, Credit Suisse, and Goldman Sachs uh, red alert warnings with, with some expecting an imminent correction of 10 to 20 percent, while others expect a slow-burning drift lower over the next few months. Uh, below, we summarize the highlights uh, for their downbeat views and macro charts. Put this out, he said. Everyone has a foot out the door. Bob Farrell's rule number nine. Bob Farrell was a famous uh, chartist, and he said, "Quote: When all experts and forecasts agree, something else is going to happen." And then he says, "Let's look back in a few months and see what happened." I I agree with him here. Uh, The idea of a twenty percent correction is is kind of ridiculous, um, in the sense that in order to get a twenty percent correction, you need a, a recession, and in order to get a recession. You generally need a yield curve inversion six months before that happens, and we're nowhere near a yield curve uh, inversion. And we'll we'll talk about that as we get into the article of the week. On the flip side, UBS, which is usually the most negative bank on the street, all the European banks are usually the sock gen, BNP, and UBS are frequently the most negative. Now they're positive, and they said uh, S&P has more room to run into year end. And these are the five reasons, a 10% plus rise in forward earnings over the next six months. That's been our base case. Uh, We'll talk about that in the article of the week. An eventual fall of COVID cases, agree. Still strong growth activity. Uh, U.S. GDP growth is still set to be more than 5% for the next three quarters, agreed. Um, Much more fiscal spend than taxes, Fiscal spend of more than two trillion is not fully priced upside for select cyclicals. We agree with that, and then finally, the ability to absorb a 30 to 50 percent, uh, 30 to 50 basis point rise in real yields. I agree with that as well. Uh, every 50 basis point rise in the 10-year yield is a three percent headwind to the PE ratio, but our work shows the S&P can absorb 30 to 50 basis point rise in rates as equities didn't re-rate up as yields fell in the summer. That's a good point. So yields fell dramatically, the multiple didn't go up because earnings went up. So uh, they're making the counter argument. I I tend to agree with that. Uh, Equity internals are also pricing higher rates with a greater, likely greater catch up for stocks, positive geared to higher rates uh, than a catch down for stocks hurt. Uh, I agree, and that's that's the basis of our, our argument in this uh, for the reopening trade, which, which we're gonna uh, move on to shortly. Um, Ryan Dietrich put out this chart I thought was great. He said, would you believe this uh, bull market is actually young? It has been anything but average so far, but the average bull market lasts about five years. This one isn't even 18 months old yet, and it shows the longest bull markets post-World War II. Um, and the average is 64.5 months, we are at month 17, and you see some of these get into the 200, 300, and 400% by the time they finally have a 20% correction. So um, that's Ryan Dietrich over at LPL. All right, we've covered this, we've covered COVID. Okay, now I wanna cover three things, two charts that we covered last week, um, this was cheap enough. Valuation gauge, 20 years low, favors small cap U.S. stocks. This is from Luthold Group. Uh, So it talks about the small cap forward P.E. ratio relative to the S&P 500. It hasn't been this low since 2001. And if you recall, from 2001 to 2005, small caps had basically their best period ever. Uh, And we're setting up kind of right at that thing and and that's why we talked about small caps last week we also did uh russell small we usually cover earnings at the end of this, the call we're going to cover it right now we took the top 30 weights of the uh russell 2000 which is the small cap uh etf and we the cumulative 2021 earnings power of these 30 stocks increased by 11.9 11.8 in the last 60 days uh, the cumulative 2022 earnings power of these 30 stocks increased by 8.8%, 8.6% in the last 60 days. Okay, so earnings power has increased. What's happened to price? Price has done nothing since February. It's just been in this range, and our bet is whether it goes to the bottom of the range first or not, we think this is eventually going to break out and uh, and form a continuation pattern. So uh, so that's that's that the second one we covered was emerging market stocks this was from Bank of America Global Research uh, approaching 20-year lows versus the S&P so you've got small caps relative to the S&P at historic lows similar to that 2001 period by the way Um, by the way the bottom was 9-11 that is really strange Um, okay so Nonetheless, 9-11 is tomorrow. So that was the bottom for emerging market stocks relative to the S&P 500. Um, Whether tomorrow will be the bottom for the emerging markets uh, relative to the S&P 500 remains to be seen. But uh, the same thing was for small caps. So that is uncanny. Uh, We'll see if history rhymes. May not repeat exactly, but it may certainly rhyme. Look, Look here. That looks like right around September 11th. 2001 as well small caps and emerging markets both bottomed on that day which is really interesting Um, okay the other component of the reopening trade has also basically gone nowhere since april so for five months it's basically gone sideways as well um and that's that's what we were talking about you know looking at the portfolios this weekend Uh, monster Q1 and Q2, and then just sideways chop, uh, we think we're setting up for a resurgence of the reopening and and we're positioned for it as well. With some hedges, obviously China is uncorrelated, so we like that. We're going to talk a little bit about that right now. Uh, And then if you look at the the, the PMO, we we talk about the PMO by all sometimes. We talk about the PMO S&P 500. Uh, Today we're looking at the PMO Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, and that's you know closer to where you want to be adding exposure versus selling exposure. Um, you know that this is where you want to add at the bottom, add at the bottom, add at the bottom, add at the bottom, add at the bottom. At the bottom. Uh, so we're closer to where you want to be buying than when you want to be selling, which is also consistent with how things are setting up. And then this is the 10-year yield. Um, and You see it creeping up. It bottomed in August at 113 basis points. It closed the week at about 134. So it looks like it's working up. We're going to spend a lot more time on this uh, in the next few minutes. Now, I talked about China credit impulse as it related to BHP and Rio Tinto. Um, The one thing, so I originally got the idea for the credit impulse from Tiho, uh, B-K-H-A-N, T-I-H-O-B-K, B-R-K-A-N, B-R-K-A-N, T-I-H-O-B-R-K-A-N on Twitter. Uh, Tiho put this chart out there, China Credit Impulse. Uh, and what he's basically saying here is that as the Credit Impulse bottom, so do Chinese equities. Now, what is the Credit Impulse? So, uh... This measures, this according to Bloomberg, measures the growth in new financing as a share of gross domestic product as an indicator of business cycles. China's property developers, manufacturers, and local governments depend on new credit for an investment, driving up employment and demand for imports of industrial goods and commodities. So um, what you see in this chart, and this one's uh, a little bit better by um, at the... Uh, at T-H-E-M-O-S-T-O-C-L-E-S. Um T-H-E-M-O-S-T-O-C-L-E-S. I found him just by uh, searching for China credit impulse charts. And um, what you see here is, you know, late 2014, late 2011, and late 2018, when the credit impulse bottomed. And we're, and we're right in that range now. Now, what happened during these periods? So, uh, early 2012, uh, 12, 14, and 18, you'll see here, you had this, this rally here uh, from 24 to 39. This is the K-Web, by the way. This is the one we're interested in because it holds BABA, JD, Tencent, et cetera. So this was a pretty big move from 24 to 39, over 50%. Then you had end of 14, you got another rally from 29 to 42. End of 2018, this was the beginning of a huge rally. um, First from 35 to 49, then 35 to 109. And then now right here, it looks like we've started to bottom. and we're up from 43 to 55 on the K-Web. And um, so it's it's the start of uh, positive things. The other thing, I don't have the chart, but if you overlay commodity demand for metals in particular, on a lag basis, as this credit impulse goes down, the China demand for metals um, uh, and the type of stuff that, you know, Rio Tinto and BHP Billiton Mine uh, can start to roll over as well. So that's another reason I couldn't get too excited about that from a China standpoint, but I could get excited on the um, China internet stocks at these valuations. So um, that's one more reason. The other thing that happened this week that was very important, that was not really covered in the news because there was noise again about the video maker, video game makers Um, There was an editorial in the official paper of the Chinese Communist Party focused on the numerous measures that China's taken in regards to regulations and matters that focus on antitrust and what China sees as unfair business practices. Uh, China also indicated in that editorial that the worst of the crackdown may be over saying, quote, the results have been achieved and the fair competition order in the market has been steadily improving. So um, Brendan Ahern, who's the chief investment officer of the K-Web ETF, um, said that I think it has been achieved as a key line that would indicate we're closer to the end, uh, and he emphasized that in his uh, note, which is called, um, so it was it was a front page editorial from the People's Daily newspaper, uh, intensified anti-monopoly supervision, investigated and dealt with the monopoly and unfair competition behaviors of relative platform companies in accordance with the law and prevented the disorderly expansion of capital. The results have been achieved and the fair competition order in the market has been steadily improving. So in other words, they're saying we crack down, we're seeing improvement in compliance and it's kind of rear view mirror. It, I don't you know, you could you know. Email me if you think there's another way to interpret that, but uh, that that's how how I think it's playing out, and we'll see how that that uh, that bears out in coming weeks and months. But that was a very positive thing, and then the second very positive thing was uh, in terms of stock prices. I mean, if, if you want to talk about strategy and geopolitical uh, debate, maybe not the best thing, but um, in terms of What it's going to do to the stock prices of these stocks, I think, is is positive. Biden called Xi last night over frustration with the dead-end talk. So he basically reached out and said, you know, can we work together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And uh, the market liked that and and the market viewed that as uh, maybe a thawing of relations. So even in a heavy tape this week and today, uh, all the China stocks were up so here are a bunch of chinese stocks baidu's up now what is this a weekly three weeks in a row same thing with baba was up a half a percent today in a down tape jd's up the last three they're all up in the last three weeks so it looks like the bottom has been put in you can always get retests but i i think this thing is starting to uh to move and all of them are are making the same pattern so that's positive um okay uh china central bank turns to niche policy tool to boost growth uh re-lending facility offers more targeted credit support so midweek there was a sell-off some related to the online some related to that they weren't going to do the stimulus that everyone expected that they were going to do because they're worried about inflation then they came back out and said well we are going to do stimulus it's just going to be different i think when all is said and done they're going to have to do stimulus and that's also going to be supportive Um, so that will be another tailwind to the group Uh, we covered that already oh okay this is an important chart of the 10-year note and one of the things we like to look at is when the commercials the green line this is on the commitment of traders report uh, are buyers they tend to buy ahead of moves up so if this moves um 10-year note so they're short-term buyers here, um, which 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 could lead to kind of that short-term fake-out we're talking about. So we'll see if this rolls over in coming weeks. Um, but the other one that I want to show you guys is and gals are some of these currencies. Because on the Asia show, I was on um, CNA last week. They asked me about the dollar and about... Um, The dollar and about oil and if you can see here this is the euro you can see the green commercials have been buying ahead of this move here uh, from April to June they were buyers and the euro took off relative to the dollar same thing now they've been buyers so we think we could see continued strength in the euro and that would be supported by the uh, ECB announcing that they're going to start tapering Although Lagarde said it isn't taper, it's effectively taper. I mean, they'll still be net adding liquidity into the system, but they're um, reducing the, the pace. So they're moving ahead, which would which would imply their currency will get stronger. And then if you look at the U.S. dollar here, uh, what have commercials been doing? They've been selling them like crazy. So they're expecting a lot further weakness in the USD. So that would make sense if, if Europe is tightening ahead of us. Um, uh and um uh we would it it would stand to reason that the dollar would be weak against uh the euro and and generally weak as a basket and and the commercials are are set up for that um and you usually see that before peaks so we'll see if we get continued weakness in the dollar in the short term um and right now we're moving right along to the article of the week so This week, we covered the ACDC Thunderstruck stock market and sentiment results. And by the way, one other thing I wanted to just say about the emerging markets, uh, this thing being near its uh, lows before it took off last time, a 9-11 in 2001, is the vast majority weighting now of the emerging markets is China. So the implication would be, if this is going to reverse like we believe it will, uh, China would be the biggest beneficiary in that basket. But it's very interesting that both the small caps and the emerging markets lined up at the exact particular time with very similar uh, circumstances as well. So, um, OK, so we chose ACDC's 1990 billboard hit Thunderstruck to capture the current stock market sentiment. I'm not going to play it for you this week because the uh, podcast people are going to get cut off in about eight minutes. I want to get through this. But. Um, but uh, the bigger sell-off this week was was predicated on the jobs report. We got a tremendous miss on Friday uh, with the jobs report coming in at plus 235 versus plus 750,000 new jobs estimated. Uh, on the cheddar appearance we did last week, uh, Monday before the jobs report, we, we did say we expected the miss and that it would lead to a delay in taper implementation. Um, as anticipated, lightning struck and the thunder followed, leading to three consecutive down days. Now it's been, I guess, five consecutive down days. Um, and the lyrics uh, here: Yeah, 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 thunderstruck, thunderstruck, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right, we're doing fine. And I, I do believe that's that's going to be the case here. uh We're just in that seasonal time of year, but I, but I think the type of stocks we've been talking about are set up to really have strong year ends um and um and we're going to talk about some of the triggers here so as far as the show with shauna she has some really good questions so the first point i made was that taper impact is going to be the name of the game moving forward um you know the fed has uh basically uh announced that they want to start taking the punch bowl away in jackson hole uh, but it's, you know, it's like the bartender at 2 a.m. who turns up the lights and says last call, but keeps serving drinks for the next two hours. Uh, I think that's the situation that we have now. And it's very similar to what happened on May 1st of 2013. Uh, at that meeting, Fed policymakers were coming around to the idea that June 18th or June, the June 18th or June 19th of 2013 meeting would be a good time to start tapering the bond purchases. Uh, And Powell was one of the big vocal advocates at that point when he was a voting member. Uh, And what actually happened uh, was from the time that that was known by the market, May 1st, that that's what the Fed was thinking, uh, you saw the 10-year yield move from 161 basis points to... Uh, the next four policy meetings, by the way, so they had intended to start tapering in uh, in June of that year. Instead, they actually wound up starting the taper in December. They they reduced the asset purchases to seventy five billion from seventy eight. Uh, I'm sorry, from seventy five billion to from eighty five billion. So they reduced it ten billion a month. But during that period, it was, in the case of bonds, sell the rumor, buy the news. So bond yields didn't go up after they started tapering. They went up in anticipation of the tapering after it was intimated uh, that that was the direction that they were headed. Now, they made it clear in Jackson Hole, and they intimated that that was the direction that they were headed, and they wanted to get it done before... Uh, the end of the year if conditions permitted. Um, obviously with the jobs report that changed it. So September is off the table for an announcement. November is possibly on the table for an announcement. But if you go back to this, let's take a look at, so this was uh, basically Jackson Hole. Um, yields have started to move up the question is whether you get a similar move like we saw in 2013. And this chart um, we'll get into. But but basically, May 1st is when they started intimating. And, it, and it's kind of an interesting setup. This is the 10-year yield right here. This was 161 basis points. That um, May meeting, they thought that uh, June would be a good time to start the bond purchases. 10-year yield shot straight up from 161 basis points to um, more or less 3%, 300 basis points by that summer. And then over the fall, it kind of consolidated that. And by the time they actually tapered in December, it was back up to about 3%. And that was the peak of rates for the entire cycle. Rates didn't get that high again until five years later in 2018. So we could see something similar to that. And remember, they thought they were going to raise, they were gonna taper, rather not raise, they were gonna taper in June, uh, and it was four meetings later. And I could see a situation where they punt September, maybe they punt November, and then my early 2022, which I've been talking about for six months, uh, proves to be correct that they don't uh implement in 2021 Uh, they actually wind up implementing in 2022 and then do does the 10-year yield like you'd seen this it was moving up rolled over and then it took off moving up rolled over do we take off in anticipation of that early 2022 taper and if so guess what happens the same thing that happened remember from the election to the first quarter, the reopening trade went through the roof. Banks, energy, industrials, um, all the defense stocks, just all, uh, you know, did very, very well. And I think we could get a repeat of that if history rhymes, which uh, I I think it will be. And the key factor to make that start to rhyme soon uh, and whether we'll have any fake-outs in the interim I could see a fake out, I could see the kids going back to school, cases spike up for a week, everyone flips out. But as long as that seven day keeps rolling over, I think this, this scenario could play out. And then not to 3% because we're starting at a lower base because uh, we started you know down here at 50 basis points last year. They were starting from 139 basis points the year before. So let's just say um, you know, closer to 2% by the first quarter on the anticipation of taper. I think would be realistic um, uh, so we'll we'll see um, now let me just get to a couple other points here so that was our base case with Shauna was that um, by the end of the year early next year Q1 we could see the 10-year approaching uh, 2% and in that case we want to have exposure to the reopening trades the other thing was that Um, Everyone calling for a huge crash, like you saw these six big banks out saying we're going to correct 10 to 20%. You're not going to get that level of correction, certainly not anything close to 20% without a recession. And you get these big crashes after the yield curve inverts. Two's 10 spread drops below 1, like you saw uh, last summer, six months before before we rolled over. And like you saw in 2007. And like you saw in 2000, you, you, you get this signal. We're we're the farthest we could possibly be. We're in the early stages here of steepening, and it usually you know goes in the case of 2003 and 2004 uh, that lasted about a year and a half. You know we're only about kind of a, you know a half a year here in the steepening part, and then you got all this part where it's it it um, compresses. For years before it inverts and that's the sweet spot of the bull market so we're not even close to that we haven't even started coming towards inversion we're still way up here so um, you know that that's that by the way if you're on the podcast you're gonna get cut off just go to hedgefundtips.com